Hello, ropers. I think we'd all agree our saddle is very important to us. After years of working with the professionals, Martin Saddlery has a new concept on their team roper. This concept allows you the opportunity to design your saddle from the tree up. You can design your saddle to fit your specific needs by selecting the horn, swell, ground seat, and cannel. There are over 100 different tree combinations available for you to build your saddle the way you want. For more information, visit martinsaddlery.com. I have a Martin. I absolutely love it. My horses love it. I ride it on every head horse that I possibly can. I use it at all the jackpots, all the rodeos. I've had great results. Go check out my friends at martinsaddlery.com. Let's talk horse health. Calm is a family-owned company that provides the best organically grown hemp products for horses, people, and pets. As a market leader in CBD for equine wellness and with a full line of CBD products, their quality and consistency is proven with third-party laboratory testing on every batch. Whether you need products for daily relief or pre-competition, they have a product that will fit every need. That's K-A-H-M-C-B-D.com. Check them out to keep your horses cool, calm, and collected. Well, welcome back to the X-Factor Open Podcast. World champion Wesley Thorpe's here with me today. Uh, does that feel pretty good to hear, world, world champion? That's a pretty, pretty cool feeling to hear that now. Man, how old are you? 24. 24 years old. That's that's pretty impressive to to see where you've gone with your roping. Uh, Throckmore, Texas, right? Throckmorton. Yep. Throckmorton, Texas. That's right. How many people are from there? I think they're down about to a little under 800 now. 800. So they're, it's a pretty small community. So, man, um, a lot of people are really getting to know you, but what's been pretty fun is uh, when I got to Stephenville, Texas, you were probably in high school still and just were a, probably a nine healer and was we're winning at the at the open ropens a lot and what i thought was so interesting from what i got to see out of you was you weren't on like the flashiest heel horses or the nicest horses that it, you know it just you just look like kind of an average kid at a roping and then we're always winning it like uh, that year you won the spicer grip I think, were you 17 when you won the Spicer? Yeah, I was 17 that year with Theron Macy when I won the Spicer Grip. So you were winning at the the biggest open roping jackpots, and before that had kicked their butt too. And, and I'm like, man, this, this it was just crazy to see how competitive you were for the whole the whole way. Like, I, I don't know, um, what was the nickname Baby Jesus for you there? <laughs> yeah, I accumulated that somehow along the way, so... Uh, yeah, I, I heard that that was uh, Britt Bacchus, and it was maybe it was because you'd show up at the jackpot with someone that they they'd never heard of, and yeah. you'd, you'd win a whatever a number ten or a nine roping with them, and just uh, so. Anyways, I, I always thought that was was pretty fun, man. But what a I, I kind of want to fast forward everything. Um, you know what I thought was really unique about it was that first year you made the NFR right with Zach Small. Yes, you had this roan horse. He was pretty good horse. He was pretty. He was pretty good. He could, he took it all that year too. So yeah, he was your only only. He was one. A, he was the only one. He really was. And then you get to the finals, and man, you've at this point you guys have murdered him. You know, won the BFI, won the college finals, had had just like he was going to college, and so you guys counted a bunch of rodeos that winter, right? We we did. We we had a pretty high rodeo count starting that summer, um, which it. it I think we were third in the world when we left <clears throat> for Reno. Um, we'd had a really good winter, a great, a good spring. Um, had a good Fourth of July. It was, it was going. Things were going really good. And then he did uh, start vet school midsummer, so he was having to fly back and forth to just what little rodeos he could. 
Right. And you guys were kind of losing ground. Like it was like, hey, we're in the top five. And then all of a sudden towards fall, it was you guys were in the kind of the bottom half of the or the bottom lower third of the teams coming in. Right. That, that's right. And uh, and kind of still still were able to finish the deal and, and get to the finals. And, and what I noticed it, it and this is just because we had roped at a few rodeos and you it, after the finals there and you kind of told me about this, but you're like. You were not happy with your performance at the NFR. You're, you, you like you said this to me. He's like, man, hey, anyone that thinks healing at the NFR is easy, I I will argue with them. It is really hard. So what what did you learn from that healing at the finals? I, I learned the first year, um, obviously how hard it was. I I didn't know. I'm big on preparing myself for the situation. I mean, I feel like if I have a good idea of, of what it's like, um, I can put myself in enough scenarios or situations to uh, do the best I can. I had no idea. I was humble enough to know for sure. I, I, I had no idea what to expect at the NFR. Um, I tried the best I could to, uh, simulate. Um, but I mean, I was so far off it. It was, uh, I had no idea what to expect. The angles, the, the position, I just thought, get my horse up further in the box, try to get a good start. Um, get around the steer best I could, and I I was nowhere close to prepared. So the the main thing I got out of the NFR the first time was how to prepare next time. I mean, what what's the steps to take? How you know what kind of run do you need to make? Um, it's just watching it on TV. It, it's so much slower looking than it actually is. I mean, it feels like the steer's running so fast when you're there and getting away. So. Um, and the angles are so much different. Um, it's a it's a lot more predetermined setup. I felt like so. Uh, the the biggest thing I learned was, um, you know what what to get ready for next time. Right, and that's so that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. Is uh, I kind of figured we would uh, we'd end up in this spot. The two major changes that I noticed for the next year was well three. The heel rope was the first question. You were a medium soft heel rope guy. <laughs> All, all the way, and you used a medium soft at the That's finals, right. right? That's right. I used a medium soft actually through the next year even, I believe. I used a medium soft until the, in the next year, um, and then I went ahead and I finally <laughs> gave it up and went. said I'd try to use a real one. So d- was that where things are happening so fast? and the, uh, You're kind of limited on your swings more or less there. And it's is, Was that something that you went to the, the stiffer heel ropes because of the NFR? Or is it just kind of you, you decided to go that way? Yeah, it really was. I mean, and, and Speed, Speed Williams had always given me a hard time saying I need to use a stiffer heel rope because he's like, I mean, he's like, you're not even giving yourself a fair chance when the steer washes out in the corner and it weighs 600 pounds. And he's like, how do you expect to place your rope? But so he'd all, it always been in the back of my mind. And, but I, I'd always thought there was other things causing the problem, which there was. I mean, it, it's, it wasn't just the rope, but um, it definitely didn't help any that I was using a very limber rope on 600 pound steers in a tiny building. You know, I mean, head, that year, that was the biggest the steers had ever been that I, I've seen. But um, they very well weighed, for the most part, 600 pounds. So, um, and were very fresh. I mean, they got barely broke in um, by some other guys. It, you know, we've gotten to break in the steers the past couple of years, and that's been nice. So they, they were broke in from kind of some different people, I, from what I understood, and uh, not very much. So they were they were big and fresh and strong. And, uh, I, yeah, I definitely didn't. The medium soft didn't help me any. So. Right. So swapping up the heel rope and kind of repairing that, 
The other thing was the heel horse, which the Roan was a great horse, and he got you to where you wanted. But that's the next thing that a, you know, I got a. You got on the bay horse of Dustin Circe's, right? That's right. This the third year, the first two years I rode the Roan, and then the third, then I switched to Dustin Circe's horse. Okay, so as this kind of progressed, you, what was the change in heel horses, and and to kind of get to where you're at with with horses now? What what did you kind of, what kind of what was the mindset with that? The the main thing um, I realized is through the corner you have to gain ground. I mean you have to. Um, it has to be a fluid motion. Um, and and the roan horse I had was was very athletic. He he was he was good and um, could really get out of any bad situation. Honestly, I mean he couldn't make him run by the corner or anything like that. But he was a touch cowy through the corner if something happened. So. I had to, throughout the year in most setups, I had to create separation through the corner, allow my momentum to help me carry into the to the run. Um, and at that particular setup, he was hesitating um, just a little bit, just enough to not make it fluid. And, and that was that was a big uh, factor for me as well, I thought. So I thought I, I needed a freer horse, per se, um, more forgiving, and... Uh, and it would, you know, make a big difference. And, and the horse I rode that the third year was uh, a brown, the brown horse I got from Blaine Vick that I rode this past year. Um, and I, I'd rode him throughout the year, and he got hurt uh, midway. But he, I thought he was the, the good fit for that arena um, in the setup, but he, he was hurt, so I was able to ride Dustin's horse out there. Right, right. And, uh, and so those kind of components, like, hey, making these little adjustments, like, the horse flesh for that particular setup has been really important. The rope, which is, you know, big steers, pretty pretty dead, need a lot of coverage with your loops sometimes. And then we've been able to video you guys practice for the NFR. So with something with X-Rector Roping we do is we'll go shoot some guys preparing for the finals. And uh, the first year with Zach, we, we didn't do that with you guys. But the next two years, right, um, we, yeah. we videoed it. You and Cody get ready. Mm-hmm. And what was so cool about that was you guys decided to make, build a run for that arena. And it was, the, you can take me through it. Yeah, um, I, ideally we, Cody kind of changed his game plan and wanted to, he'd always thought Eric Rogers done a great job there and rode his horse good, didn't have to reach much, kept the run out in the middle of the arena. And Cody's buckskin mare is real forgiving, she's, I mean, she's really good and uh, watches the steer good and everything. And he uh, he wanted to, to use her to the best of her ability, not use his rope as much. So he wanted to break a little clo- you know, a little more towards the pin, closer to the steer, um, try to ride his horse another stride, head him, roll him out the front best he could to keep the momentum going. And that way I had a good spot to ride to. I could stay moving through the corner, ride around him and get a big finish and uh, we were going to try to make our runs happen further down the arena more controlled and sharper and i mean i, th- I think getting a flag is a, a pretty big factor out there i mean it's, it's a lot easier to get a flag when you are in the middle of the arena and you get a, a big finish so that that was our plan we, we tried to tried to almost emulate a jackpot scenario run but you're just way closer to the steer the barrier short so try to make that type of run out in the arena and see just start off by seeing how fast it was at the practice pen just seeing how close to the steer he could get head him set him up let me heal him and just see what that run felt like 
and it started out it just was crazy to to go through such a you know a conservative run jackpotting wise controlled run and it turns into four flat four five you know it just makes you think how it just it just dominoed into that and that's what we tried to tried to carry into um into the first time that we emulated that at the nfr and that was the second year cody and i made it was when we kind of developed that game plan and uh that was the first year we we i had a, a really good nfr and uh he had it really good out there we had a couple of breaks just you know kept us from really doing good but we we had a good nfr and that was that was a good thing to build off of so right well and that's that's kind of what i thought was so unique is you had buddy and lane there and they were kind of timing the runs and you guys were timing each other's runs and making sure it stack up but you know you see the nfr and there's like you have this expectation that these guys going so fast and reaching and there's these, these really really fast fast runs and um you guys kind of took away like kind of hacked into it your own way like hey we realize we might lose a little time once in a while but this last year you ended up was it the fastest run of the rodeo I think we did. We tied the fastest run of the rodeo. So just making that run and, and by making sure that you guys, like Cody giving you the opportunity to heal how you needed to, really give you guys a great opportunity and made up time, especially when you had the right steers or you had the right start as well. And, and you know, to go even further back, like the year before, you guys, it was round six or seven, and it was it was looking like you had a chance to win the world and and be right where you want to be and, and granted it didn't go that way but that that's what i i like so much about it is it was not one year it was a couple years right of this game plan and mm-hmm. just staying with it like you guys yeah it it, it worked i mean it was effective it, it just seemed like it 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 takes the guessing out of it really um that was the biggest thing for me i i didn't even have enough self-discipline the first year of rodeo and um with to to create uh, patience per se you know in the second year I, it took me a couple of years and still to this day it's hard to be patient because um, it's you want to go fast I mean in a, if you're trying to be three or four you want to go fast but you have to for me it's a, it's about patterning myself to where I can and ride a certain angle a certain position things fall into place before this happens and it's and I it took me a while to get to where I could be disciplined enough to make myself go through those steps first right so now to go back because you've won at every level do you think this has been something that you've learned over time is like hey i'm from a number four healer let's just talk about that when you when did you first start roping and competing at jackpots how old were you uh i was nine when i first started jackpotting nine. um i would go to the otras and abilene um primarily uh, some U.S. ropings. Um, so I, I started going to, to, I was junior rodeo a little bit before that, but mainly jackpot in nine, ten years old. Um, and that, that was, it was fun for, I always liked going, because you could enter so many times, so many times. And right. I had one horse that, whether he cared or didn't, <laughs> you were he got it and yeah. he acted like he liked it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, it, it, that was fun for me. I, I always look forward to the day before getting to go to those roping and then how old were you when you i mean because nine's young and that's not a very common thing to see someone that's jackpotting at, at nine years old but was there a time where 
you know, maybe your first, when was your first big win? The first big win, I was 12. Um, I won a truck in Abilene. Uh, it was at the OTRA finals and it was a marathon week. I think you enter eight to 10 times per roping and they had a tech, like a, a one was the first roping, which is probably be similar to the eight in the, in the U S numbers all the way up to you know what would be considered a I, I would heal in the low numbers say up to the 12 and then I would head in the you know numbers equivalent to the 13 to the 15 um especially when I, I started out having a good week I won the first the very first rope and I placed twice and won a fast time one got a lot of points it was high point overall for the truck and uh they paid more places in the lower numbers so you could get almost more points um so I, I got a lot of points the very first rope and I roped in and I actually broke my thumb, um, the very, very first roping, but I roped in a couple of more ropings that were kind of my, you know, best chances and had some luck in them. So as the week went on, I needed to make sure I entered the higher numbers to, to give myself the best chance. And so I started heading in those and, um, David, it was a pretty cool week for me to, to, to win that. I was going to some 12 and under rodeos that weekend or whatever, and driving back home and, or back uh, from one of them and they called me and told me I'd won the truck after the open was over that nobody had, had passed me in points so that that was that was the biggest first win for me right man with a broke thumb yeah Bro- broke, broke, th- bro- broke it dallying yeah broke it dallying and just kept going yeah it, it, it hurt too I remember yeah so I, I still feel like this is really young and 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 to me when you're that young it's like you're, you're almost free with your roping like you're just kind of doing you just you're just roping. Yeah, really. that's right. That's your only worries. And uh, was there, did you practice at that age to, to for competition? Or how how was your mindset? Because, that, you know, you had to win at roping from right. from an early age. That, right. that was something, it wasn't a luxury to just go in or jackpots. You, right. you know, you had to win, even at 12 years old or 9 years old. Yeah. So when did that become, start, you know, you were practicing for competition or practicing to, to win? I did. The the biggest thing for me was I could always say set myself up for one shot pretty good. Um, the hardest thing for me was to figure out how to finish a roping. So at a young age, I always played games with it, trying to, you know, this is the third round or the fourth round. Like, how, how could I get through? Because, you know, if I'm entered ten times and my horse by the third round is – I always wanted to not necessarily throw fast but take my first shot – you know, you get ahead of the rope and send the low numbered ropings. If I'm throwing fast and catching, I'm way ahead by third round. So how how do I have enough confidence to either take that shot and you know live with the consequences, or or be more conservative, get the steer down um, if I'm ahead in the roping? So I always played with that at home. Tried to figure out how I could, you know, at a young age, try to figure out how to, you know when my horse does get to this point how do I how do I get over this or how do I use my legs to get past this or what mindset do I need to tell myself to um, create more momentum at certain part of the arena Um, so it was things like that I was always playing with and it changed it it, I always changed it with different situations different scenarios different partners you know different competitions at home what I was going to do to get ready for that so that was a cool that I still use today. I mean, it was something that I, I'm always, almost you're almost figuring out ways to trick yourself, really, um, where where to sacrifice one shot to get another one, or where to 
where to trick yourself in this spot. If, if something's off in this area, what could I tell myself to simplify it to get through these areas versus trying to tackle, you know, the biggest thing I want to do, there's days where I'm, I'm trying to pick 10 things that I'm going to, going to mess with. And it's like two things could fix it all. Um, so I, I didn't realize I was doing that. I was trying to play with that at a young age to figure out how to make it, you know, complex, you know, try to get the most out of what I'm working on, but also keep it simple, simple as I can, you know, not, not overcomplicating it. And that, that's, I've always battled that. I mean, you know, when I'm roping bad, I'm thinking about 15 things and, and it's correct. I need to be thinking about these things and to fix them, but um, there's there's better ways of fixing these. Really trying to get to the root of what yep, of the problem. Yes, because something might feel off, and it might be as simple as like, hey, I just need to put my horse in this position, and everything will feel fine. Right. But you might think it's your swing. Swing. Or your the timing. swing was the biggest thing for me. My whole time growing up, I always, every time I thought I needed to get to a better step of my roping. I thought my swing needed to change. I didn't. I, every time I watched my videos growing, I didn't like my swing, as a whole. I mean, I I had a good foundation of a swing, but I I didn't like it the way it looked. I would change things throughout my swing. I would do this, but I needed to focus more on what caused my swing to do that because I didn't have a bad swing, but something made it off during the run. Whether it was my posture, my my feet, my power, horse, uh, something made it to where I had to, to get excess power to make it work. So that was something I battle with still to this day, figuring out what actually causes my swing to go wrong. Because I don't have a bad swing. It's something that's causing it to go wrong. Right, right. And uh, so you've won a truck at 12 years old. And do you know, do you know the numbers of like the U.S. Ropens that you've won? And, and this, for people that don't know, this is when the U.S. Finals was the U.S. Yeah, Finals. It was, it was, it was it. It was. How many ropens have you won out there at Oklahoma? I think I've won four shootouts and three prelims. Four shootouts and three prelims. How old were you when you won your first big roping out there? I, I would have been 14. 14. When I won the first. I think I'd placed a time or two before that, but I, the first time I won big, I was 14. I'd won the... Uh, I placed in the 13, I made the short go of the 13 prelim, placed down there a ways. Play, then I won uh, second in the 12 shootout and third, second in the prelim, third in the shootout, 12 shootout. And then I won, I might have, I placed in the 11 prelim down a ways and then I won the 11 shootout. And then I had a good <clears throat> callback in the 10 shootout. And my horse fell down right as I threw to have a chance to win second or third in it. But I think I won seventy eight thousand that year and was about to have a chance to win another thirty or so right there. Right. But what number healer were you there? I was a six plus. Six plus healer. And when you won the truck at twelve years old, how old uh, what number were you then? I was a four in the US and a like a one or a half in the OTRA. So I was I was about a four. Right. So one thing that through all of these stages you have learned is how to win at each number, correct? That's right. Why do you think why do you think that is? I think for me, I always try to figure out how I could get the best advantage. And it starts with from I was 
had nothing else to do other than school and rope. So I'd call whoever I wanted um, top of the list to rope, and I'd work my way down. And I might call them two months out. I would call the best guys I thought I could get so far ahead of the ropings that they had to have a good excuse to tell me no because I was the first guy that called them. Right. So not very many people texted me to rope because I'd already text, <laughs> texted everyone so far in advance. But I think that was important for me because I, every time I had the best guys I thought I could get at the rope, you know, if I'm in her 10 times, I got the 10 best chances. I didn't rope with, oh, you know, I got five good chances and five, you know, I had 10 chances, like the best I could get. And my theory was I was going to get the best guys. If I could mess up all nine times, and I got it right once, I won that day. Right. And that was because I had the best partners that I could get. So I, I hustled pretty good in that department and tried to give myself the best chance, um, you know, in, in the numbers and tried to play the game uh, as far as I, I didn't look at it. I didn't work on my foundation. It, it was more important for me to win than it was for me to um, accomplish my whatever I was working on. Uh, you know, I roped to win. What was it going to take to win? Like, and I, I didn't care. I let, um, you know, my foundation, I mean, what whatever it was, if I left that day and won, that was all I cared about. And I was so competitive that I wanted to win. I wanted to have the best partners. I wanted to win. And I took the wins for what they were and the losses, whatever it took to go win again. And I got over that loss. I mean, it didn't, you know, I, I wasn't as worried as I could have been, possibly should have been, about foundation, and, and I wanted to work on these steps to, to let me win, so that's where that all comes into play, but when I was at the roping, I would sacrifice whatever it took to win. I would I would sacrifice, you know, whatever I thought shot or this or that, I thought I would do it just to, so I could win. Right. And that was that was the most important thing to me at the time, for sure. So do you think, and this is what we hear a lot, is especially you go to the practice pan with a number five, six, seven healer, I want to be a nine. And I think that's the most incorrect thing to think about because it's like you're a number five healer. You have the most opportunity to win yep. the most amount of dollars. Why do you not learn how to catch the steers to win and don't, who cares what you look like? Yeah. Is that yeah. what you were, you know, you like, you didn't worry about like, Hey, I, I want to look like a nine or a 10. Or I want to look like Clay Coop or whoever it was. It was, I wanted to, to figure out how to catch the steers. Yeah, I, th I think it's good to have the long term goal of being the nine, but you got to fix the short term goal. I mean, you got your short term goal needs to be, I need to be the best five in the country. And then your long-term goal needs to be, I'll be a nine. But if I'm the very best five I can be, and I'm working on the next steps slowly, and I get to that point, they're going to raise me to a six. Well, then my biggest problem growing up was I got my number raised fast over time. So say I got raised to a seven, and I was a six elite. That was, that was a cool for me. I was young. I always thought, my, it's funny that I ever even thought of this, but when I was, say, 12 years old, I thought, if I could be an eight healer, I could rodeo. Like, I'll rodeo. But I don't know why I set that as my limit. Like, I wasn't going to go in a rodeo if I'm a seven healer, six healer. That was just what I thought. So I thought, if one day I could be an eight healer, I might could rodeo. And right. so that was just my number nine. So anyway, going back to that, I thought, 
I would work on the steps I took. But my biggest deal, so I thought it was cool growing up, getting my number raised. So if I'm a seven, I thought that was a big deal. Seven's a, a good good healer. It's closer to my goal. But I wanted to rope like a seven. I, I, I would jump ahead of myself and think just because I'd gotten raised, I wasn't taking, I'd been roping good. I'm, I was doing good as a six elite, winning. And I thought I have to rope better. I have to do something more to compete as a seven. And I hear this all the time. People talk about getting their number raised and, and the roping gets worse. That, that was 100% true for me for a, a month or two at the time. And then I had to learn to back the steps up a little bit, don't get ahead of myself. What got me raised to a seven? I focused on my rope and I worked on the steps I needed to take to be the best six I could be. Let's go back and and accomplish that. And that's why I'm a seven. And I will, I will, you know, succeed as a seven if okay. I complete those steps. And then and then that's when you kind of grow into your number. You feel confident. Work on the things to be the best seven you can be. Then you have the confidence of a seven. You have the confidence of being. The, and then all of a sudden, that's when you get raised again. So then you have to stay with the steps you can't jump leaps and bounds ahead of you know if you want to be a nine and you're a five if you're if you're trying to rope like i mean you're probably gonna go backwards when you well and i think the other deal is you're working you're worried about outside like you're you, essentially that's what other people think whoever that is if they say you're a nine and you're trying to rope like that that means you care about what that person thinks or yeah. that number system thinks about your roping yeah. and you're in turn not focused on how to heal a steer when he needs to be healed in that rope and so that you can win right and you so you're essentially taking away from that if you're whatever it is if you're trying to set your horses up and make it look cool well i think that's when you th there's a difference between looking like joseph harrison who he spent a lifetime looking right. you know working at this run and for someone that wants to do that and look cool well there are times where your horse doesn't have to quite hit his stop like that and, and get these points like a judged event and you can still hear heal the steer by two feet and win the rope in. And I think that's you know, that's what I hear from you and and see with you a lot is like you just know when to take risks in a rope and like, hey, when do I need to make up some time? When do I just need to catch? And and it just it shows through throughout your roping career because it's this foundation, like I mean we could talk about the BFI when you won that. I, I was team two or were you team one at the BFI? Mm -hmm. I think I was team two or three or something. And I, no, I was probably five because I watched most of your runs that day. And you're like, your header went at him and you guys got ahead of that rope and fast, right? Right. And to get ahead of the BFI, it's a whole different game because you've got an hour and a half at least, seems like between each steer. You got plenty of time to know what's going on. And then when you guys were whatever on two or on three or on four, but you were, you're, you have the rope in one essentially if you just catch the next, the course. yeah, just right. complete the course. And, and I think that's where it goes to like knowing, hey, I don't care what my horse has got to do. I've got to be able to read the steer and then heal it, right? Right. And, and that's where that, for me, I remember that, that day pretty clearly. I, I had the, the, you know, key points, one or two key points I was working on. And, and you know, I'd, I'd been focused on letting the steer develop before I started my entry, keeping my shoulder back. Little things that, that helped me have peace of mind of what I was going to do the next time. I mean, all I'm supposed to do is react to the steer and then these one or two key elements that are helping me rope at the best of my ability to where I'm not second second guessing it you know i mean it all starts for me at, at home really 
Um, I've, I've got to be able to, to feel confident when I leave the house to, you know, kind of my motto now is, is pretty much let's get beat doing what I'm doing at home. Like, like when I leave the house, that's my plan. I go and I, I do the best I can to stick with my plan. And I don't do it all the time. And that's what, when I get frustrated, I mean, that's the biggest, my biggest pet peeve is when I don't stick to my game plan. Um, so, you know, when I leave the house, I want to get beat doing what I've been doing at home. I don't want to get beat coming up with some new plan, some new idea um, that, I, that I do at the Ropen. You know, I, I can live with messing up, but I don't like messing up if I abandon my game plan. Right. So, I mean, it, it really all starts for me when I, when I leave the house. Who taught you that? that you know, I kind of really myself. I mean, I, I, it took me a while. I, I just, growing up, I wanted to, like, I was so competitive. And, th- and that's where it separates to where I'm, my, my thinking now, my thinking then was different, is I was so competitive then, I would do whatever it took to win, whereas to now... The ropings are, are fast. I mean, at the open level, I think it it's just it, it's a toss up. I mean, it's so fast. There's no let up, really. I mean, you just go. But that's what makes me think I, I don't want to beat myself. I mean, I still can't beat myself. It, it's intimidating to watch sometimes. I mean, I want to do extra. I want to do what he's doing. I mean, Jake Long's throwing in the switch every time. He's catching every time. Like, how am I going to? I mean, I'm throwing on the second hop. How am I going to beat him? You know, I mean, I got to stick to my plan until my plan doesn't work anymore. So I just, over time, I had to to just stick to it and just make myself just, let's just not even care if we win today or not. I, I had to, I transformed from being the most competitive I could be at that day in my mind to what what happens if I don't? But I, I would spin myself out so fast if I was at, at the highest level if I was that competitive because trying to beat those guys every round, I almost had to stick more to my, you know, a different side of my game plan. Well, or, or winning essentially becomes not result-oriented. Right. You, it becomes doing what you practice. That's right. And, and that's the only thing I question whether I, you know, growing up, if if I was worried as as much on fundamentals as as I could have been, and instead of as competitive as I was, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it helped me in some areas. Obviously, I mean, I had a lot of success growing up, and and I won a lot. But, I, you know, you see some guys grew up through the ranks doing it perfect, and and so I mean, there's different forms of of I think there's different ways of, of doing it. And I was competitive enough to to work at my rope and to get to progress in those areas but um it, now it is more strategy um and it is more sticking to my game plan and trying to i mean essentially really just that's if i'm gonna get beat let's get beat on something i'm working on right right man i uh i think that's a really important thing to understand because it, it, coming from your situation not a lot of money right like in college you Right. Would it be fair to right. say you were broke in college? That's right. <laughs> yeah, the the buck and duck was my saving grace, heading in the slide. <laughs> well, let's talk about that because that that's something I remember. This conversation we were headed to a, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. a rodeo, that's right. and you're like, man, I, I paid for college heading at the buck and duck. Yeah. So the buck and duck, for everyone that doesn't know, is uh, at the Lone Star Arena in that second arena. They would have a a slide, fifty a man probably, forty a man, thirty a man, yep. something like that, in or up. 
So when I went to college, I was a 9 elite healer, and I I was super honest with myself. I didn't think I deserved a better run. I didn't think I deserved. I knew I roped good and I had ability, but I and I had a mediocre horse, solid patterned horse. That's it. Nothing, you know. Nobody going to the NFR is going to be wanting to call me and ride my horse. But he is. But he he is solid. I could compete on him at certain places and. I knew that I needed to go to the open ropings. I mean, that's all it was to. I mean, you have to go to to compete, to to get beat, to learn. Um, so I have to enter. Um, that's. I mean, that's that was my priority. I had to go to the open ropings. I had to work at my roping, see what I needed to do to learn to compete against those guys, um, learn to to get in the mix of them, go practice with them, try to you know when they need to run, when a good guy needs to run, I need to be ready to rope, go rope. But on the flip side of that, that was hard to afford. Um, so actually at one point, I sold my heel horse. I sold a heel horse. I was down to one. I sold the set. It was, I had two. Um, I like, I sold one, bought a head horse um, that could take it, a lot of runs. And I would go once a week to the Buck and Duck and once a week to Mineral Wells on Sundays. And I averaged about I could I could had it figured out where I could clear about a thousand on Sunday and five hundred to a thousand on Wednesday, and I was I did a pretty good job of that and that kind of that paid my expenses and some of my stuff and then my fees for the open ropings and get, you know get ahead here and there but that that was I, and I had a good heading number too I I was probably a straight seven for a while and I I used that to my advantage and it it worked good for me so. Well, what I noticed about this, uh, we talked about it, that was so fun, is the buck and duck is exactly that. You are ducking your horses out, and there'll be 100 to 150 teams sometimes, right? Maybe yep. maybe 50 yeah. on, a, on a kind of a slower week. And they're all four steers, right? So and the, these college kids was who it mainly was, and right. um, they would just go at them. And you, you flat out told me like, hey, I, I can't reach like some of these kids were doing or what how they would go at them and how fast. But I knew if I would keep every partner in the roping, right. I would have to enter a lot of times and I'd have to get all the guys that could heal real good. And I probably wouldn't win first or second, but I could win the rest of the holes and I could make up for it and get that roping to where at least you knew by the third or the fourth round how fast you had to be. And so it was like this little hack into yep. letting all these guys watch these three and four second runs in the first round, which is what right. was happening oh, a yeah. lot. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's it's pretty intimidating when you sure. first time you watch the buck and duck or something like that. You're like, holy cow, these guys! How how are these guys not at the NFL? Right. right. And uh, and so you would essentially just learn how to get through the rope and with the fastest run possible, but still catch as many steers as you could. Right. That's right. No, I mean, I just I tried to outlast them for the most part and. And it was always good enough for third. And then if they pl- completely, you know, third, fourth, fifth, you know, I could win the bottom holes. And if they would mess up, I could win, the fir- you know, all of them, really. Um, and on Sundays, the Minner Wells, it was dead dead start. You had to see something, and nobody could score. Right. I would turn my horse around and nod. I did everything I could. It would not break out. And I could, I could win several holes on Sunday. So that was – but – it was pretty cool. I, I I got a lot better in my heading. I didn't head very good when I went to college and progressed pretty fast and and learned um, learned a lot. Learned how to get by. So, 
Well, and and you when you say that, like, learn how to get by, learn how to turn your horse to the box. That's or whatever, right. Whatever. I would turn around. I would nod back and up, nod turn sideways, nod turn facing the other way, nod as I walked in. I had not any way I could to get out. <laughs> to not get that barrier. Well, I that's think right. That, and that's what kind of goes back to what where I think it's so important for ropers to understand is whatever it takes to win. That's right. It doesn't have to be sexy. No. It doesn't have to be this certain run or look. It's about getting your job done and, and trying to figure out how you can you can win in the roping. And, uh, and I, I, man, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting to, to just hear like how, how you did it heading. One, one time when it really jumped out to me with your heading, like how much feel for the run that you do have, we were at a, probably like a Heartland, like a number 14 World Series. And you, you're probably a seven plus or an eight header, I think. And uh, you, you guys were kind of long on two, but clean. Taylor, I think it was Taylor Carney. We wrote, we placed in the prelim and shootout that day. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then it was it your third or your fourth steer that you just kind of like hang it on him fast. I mean, to be, if you wanted to, you could have ducked him back to be as fast as a run possible. But you head him and then are just really light and keep your horse up and just handle the steer and just make it easy to heal and you guys go make whatever five second run and it wins money. And you're like, that ability to read your partner, to read the run, know when to make up time, like that's that's what I think is so unique about learning how to win in all these situations. It goes to, you know, even to translate from healing because it's so much reaction and heading you have so much control. But to watch that is, it's pretty impressive to see with, you know, where your mind is at. Yeah. Right. No, it was. I learned a lot over the first couple of years heading, and the the biggest sad. I didn't care much what it looked like. It was whatever I could do to. I was always working. I knew what it's supposed to look like and worked on trying to get it there. But I, it's if it got in the way of winning, <laughs> I would I would kind of let it, you know. Right. Well, let's. Uh, so as you're uh, in college, nine plus healer, it's hard to get these runs and. You know, you had speed kind of helping you out a little bit, but when, when did speed kind of come in the picture in your life? Well, when I was 13, I was roping with Speed's brother-in-law. He uh, he was a, a really good six-header. Um, I was a six-healer. Um, we could rope in the 12s, and I got to know him super well. He'd not, I mean, we got to be a good friend, and I'd rope with him in every 12 possible, and we'd catch a lot of steers together. We'd either place or get really close every time. And uh, I got to be around Jennifer a little bit and Speed's wife, and uh, she she made the comment that she you know thought I was a super nice kid and respectful and wanted to invite me down to the house one day. So Speed invited me. He got there and he instantly when I drove up he I knew he's kind of dry sense of humor, but he walked up instantly when we pulled in and introduced himself and was nice as could be and I, I thought that made an impact right off the bat to me and helped me with my roping and was harsh I mean he the first day and I, I respect that to this day the very first day I, I didn't know what to expect I mean I wasn't high on my healing by any means but I, I knew I, I thought it healed good for my age but and right off the bat he he was hard I mean we watched the videos that day and it put it in perspective how far off I was and I, mean, I was young I was 13 and I was I was gonna rope with him the next day at the U.S. rope and at Steve I was roping him in the 15 and uh, Philip, um, his brother-in-law in the 13 and 12, 
and Speed and I were 11 on two in the 15. I missed the third one to be, it was four header at the time, to be high call. And then I was high call, had all day to win the 13, like 10 seconds. And I missed. <laughs> and it, pay, it was good too at the time. It paid five or 6,000 a man. So basically everything he told me was why I couldn't catch at the end that day. Um, not necessarily that I couldn't catch, but that my chances weren't at their best of catching that day. So it, it put it in perspective for me um, at that age, what I needed to work on and, and where I needed to go. And, um, you know, and, and so he, he had an impact um, for me from the start. And uh, I, I stayed in touch with him over time. And then as I, I went down to college, he was still rope. He was still heading competitively. He'd go to the, the big open ropings and, and that was about it. Maybe some rodeos, but uh, he still was roping every day and, and um, competing. So he, you know, I started going over the house and roping with him. And he started asking me to rope at some of the bigger open ropings, and and that was a big end for me, because um, he he was still pretty fresh out of rodeo, and um, you know, and competing and had good horses. So getting rope with him at the big jackpots was it it got me a lot of exposure and um, and gave me a good chance too. So that that was that was big for me. Right. Man, what what's the biggest lesson you learned from Speed over the years? Like the one big takeaway as far as being a, being a competitor. What have you gotten away from that guy? Um, the the biggest thing is is studying it. I mean, he'll uh, you know always study it and uh, being pretty honest with yourself. You know, um, that's what he. Uh, I mean, he's he's you know you think he's being hard on you, but really it's in the long run he's he's just not sugarcoating anything. He's just calling it like he sees it. Yeah, like he sees it. And, uh, you know, to this day, I, I think that meant a lot to me um, as far as it hurt at times. I mean, it hurt. It. There was a time or two where I thought I thought I was kind of going the right direction and it just not at all what I expected to hear. Um, but it, in the long run, I mean, that's what, you know, you can't – because there's no – I mean, it's it's – so cutthroat really i mean out there as far as competition um there's always somebody trying to beat you there's all you know the next guy coming up um so that's it it's just there's really no room for sugarcoating it or, or it just won't work do you think there's any room for ego in your roping is that do you think that can be a huge huge flaw in someone's roping if they have an ego yeah i mean i for, I mean, for me, I, you're only as good as your next win, I think. So it, it just, as far as anything you've accomplished, doesn't help you make a living. I mean, for me, like, I, I mean, the BFI meant a lot to me. I mean, the, I, I think most of it will mean a lot to me later on, you know, when I'm retired or something. But it, to me, I mean, it does not matter until I, I healed the very best I've probably ever healed in the month of November, December this year, practicing and jackpotting I, I jackpotted good and just there was a time span i had everything in order was healing good went out to arizona roped I, when i left the house i think i went 60 in a row uh, at, you know from arizona jackpots through the nfr and home in competition and that was you know that was the best numbers i'd ever done and when i you know but for me, starting over the next year, I mean, it could January couldn't have been any worse for me. Like, didn't do very good at the jack, didn't do good at all at the jackpots, really. Just 
barely placed it a couple and then uh, rodeos weren't good. So, I mean, it's like it, it starts all over. I mean, nobody cares about you winning the NFR, um, honestly. So, I mean, for me, I, I don't think there's much room for, for it. Well, 16 in a row is pretty impressive. I don't know that I've heard of many it, numbers I, like that. It, um, I hadn't done it before. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And well, and I think what's what comes full circle is your mindset. You know, to heal those 60 in a row, you've kind of you probably have to have that that mindset that you set at home. Yeah. Know? No, I mean, and I left with the game plan and like it didn't uh I mean, you know, I think the worst thing I can do is leaving the house saying, I'm going to catch every steer. Like, that's, I mean, for me, that's not a good game. But it's got to be my position. I'm going to get to this point. Throw, You know, it's how, it's to, how catch. to catch every steer, yeah. you know, and, and what, see it enough to, if I do mess up, well, what caused me to mess up? You know, it can't, when I'm roping my best, it doesn't affect me to mess up. I mean, I'm, I'm zoned in. I'm paying attention. I follow the steps. That's what happened perfect we'll get the next one you know it's so i mean i was in that set i could have missed and not bothered me but when i do miss and it bothers me that's when i don't have my ducks in a row right and i think that's where it's like the the humility and the ego if you take that all out you can realistically look at each roping each run and say yeah either i missed him or i caught him but it allows you to to not go so up and down like when you miss a steer it's not like oh man i suck or i'm really struggling it kind of allows you to say, hey, analyze it, look at things with a how-to mentality, and it makes it real easy to where the, you don't feel like you're really hot or really cold. You know, you feel like it's it's almost even kill. Is, right. is, that, is that kind of what it no, feels like that's, for you? No, definitely for me. And, I mean, I go through roller coasters throughout the year as long as the year is. I mean, there's times where you feel like it's going per And honestly, when it's going the very best for me, it's almost as important to focus on that as it is when it's going the very worst because you need to know why everything is working the way it is. I mean, my game plan's good. My horses are good. I've got a lot of control. Um, they're X amount of tired before I'm riding them. You know, what? what's allowing it to go this good? Um, I mean, I had a pattern down in that time that I – that made it feel that way. I mean, my horses got this much more time of warming up. I, I spent this amount of time preparing. Like, it's just certain things, you know, I think have, you, have, you have to get that out of it when, when it is going good, um, just as much as it is when it's going bad. Do you do you write those things down, like what you do, or kind of document that a, at all? A little bit. I need to do more of that, but I do write it down some. I started doing that. Uh, I that bay horse that I got that's uh, kind of the, the racier one that runs so hard mm -hmm. I can get really tapped off on him and uh, then I can get really off on him too and right. I notice like what it is is how I score him how I hold him in the box and how I like ride him out where my body is and if I can have that all right I feel great and so I, I started writing those things down and I'm like I really noticed that helped me be prepared on him uh, when I would go to competition yeah, I think for me over time my conception of what I write down can change so I think I have to be careful as far as um, you know if, if I'm using my left hand a lot in the winter that might be and I'm being light but in the summer that means I'm not using my feet at all it, there are certain things I think play in a factor as to what you tell yourself and and so I, I try to be careful of that you know stick into this thing forever you know so I I kind of fluctuate, change this and that here and there. Um, kind of goes back to tricking yourself um, mentally, 
really, you know, my swing, like sometimes uh, if I'm, if I'm trying to swing flatter, my elbows down more, um, that's, it's actually the perfect angle, but then sometimes it's way too flat. Like, so I, I jump back and forth that I think that's a little bit of a misconception for me of what I write down plays a factor. But as I go, I'm trying to always stick to a certain plan, change it slightly as I can go, but it's a delicate balance. Is that's it? right. <laughs> that's right. It, too much change, you could really like pull away from what you're doing good, yep. or not enough change, you could really allow some like poor habits or poor things to happen, right? Yeah, and I, I change too much um, as as I go. I I come up with something different too early sometimes um, when really I was probably on the right track and just could have fixed um, something. But I, I do think you always have to be looking to 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 fix the problems in another way is there like one thing for you like a foundation like you said it to be a five like let the steer develop is there one thing that you really have consistently in your mind healing um i i try to if i can let myself be patient like when the gate opens i have to be patient um it, it helps uh, it helps start everything else into play um, if I panic and, and really want to get something going, it kind of steamrolls problem after problem from there. Um, if I can be pretty grounded and, and confident, relaxed, and, and patient when the gate opens, uh, it can help me put everything else into place for right. me. What about, like, mentally? Do you, I mean, do you struggle with confidence at all? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, th- honestly, the this January rolled over the first of February probably the most I've struggled with confidence in a long time like and it's but it, it happens two or three times a year for me to where I um I it's almost like I, I don't I mean it, it I do for sure I mean it just it gets me down I mean down at a point of where I'm not negative I mean I'm I just feel almost helpless uh in a way of like how how could I be this far off? And and things aren't is what I don't. I'm not looking at the big picture enough. Um, Kevin Lazarus, I don't know if you know, he he made a, a great point uh, to me. He he was a golf pro, and he said that we were just talking forever at Odessa this year. And he said that um, he asked me the numbers of what a Hall of Fame golfer would be um, of wins, and I you know I wouldn't know the correct answer. And he's seven percent. You're a Hall of Fame golfer, so I'm like roping is similar to that I mean if you if you look at the big picture you don't have to win all the time so I mean I have to look at the big picture more and ride, ride the waves and uh, and I don't it doesn't take me long to get my confidence back but I, I do lose it more than I should as far as my confidence goes well and just understanding like hey I, I mean it might be I might not be winning but to have your practices structured like you do. Take that to competition and know that if you're doing your job like you game planned, then that's good enough. And if you do it long enough, it'll pay off, right? That's right. Okay. And uh, the other thing I, I think is we can lose confidence, but really that that is by looking at it short term and understanding if our confidence is something that we're like worried about that day and well, that's when you need to fall on your practice. That's when you need to fall on those things like your game plan and believe that you have the right game plan and know that if you put it together as many times as possible, that's that's how you regain it 
as well, I think. Right. No, I, I definitely agree. And, and too high of expectations uh, get in my way sometimes. Um, it's almost like the better it goes, um, if I'm pretty grounded, have a, a basic principle of what I'm working on, um, take it to the competition, it goes great. As it dominoes, your expectations get higher and there hits a point to where it spins out. Um, you're almost expecting more, expecting, not not truly working more, but you, you do expect like, oh, I'm winning, I'm winning, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And it eventually, I think it spins out to where you go 10 steps back. Well, it's a great example. I mean, you just, I mean, you've probably never healed 60 in a row in competition. Right. I mean, you might have, but... I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, and not many people really have in general. And then to have that kind of that NFR performance like you had was probably one of the better healing performances ever. Right. And and so then it's like you got the world title. You've healed 60 in a row. Well, really, the next few weeks of jackpotting, you might miss a few steers, but it's like it, it probably feels like the end of the world because yeah. you're not, you're like now the expectations yeah, my expectations are, were too high. And so I should have been working on more of a some. I'm starting all the way over. I got to build back. You know, um, I got to create something to build off of. And, and that's, you know, like for me, like a, f- a fifth is something good to build on. And then and then making the short round or getting into the fourth round consistently with the chance or taking your risk later on um, for me helps. It gives me something to build on to where, you know, it dominoes into where you're place and place and place. And then you're then you take your risk and it works. And then, you know. You have to. I have to have a foundation, something to build on. Versus my expectations were too high. I was trying to strike gold every time, you know. Right. Well, and we forget that roping is probably the most humbling. Oh sport. my goodness, it's like, crazy. I mean, I was. I just hit me. Um, you know, obviously having that great year, and then you won the Super Tuesday jackpot last year with Cody, right? And then this year, were you done? During, I was done in the first round. I, th- I, th- I thought you were. I <laughs> threw it behind the steer on one. <laughs> it, but that's that's roping. Like that you know, that happens. And so here you are, one of the better jackpots of the of the winner, and you're done round one in a five steer where you know a leg's probably gonna win third or fourth. Yeah. And and that's just part of it. And you gotta be able to live with that and, and to recover from throwing it behind the steer. That's right. And and to to have the long term mindset I think is very important. Well going back to your college years you know, you, you talk to me about this, but one thing we hear, I, I, my favorite excuse for healers are, oh, I just don't get good runs. I, I love that excuse. Oh, yeah. How did you solve that problem to start getting better and better runs as you were progressing with your open? You, you got to put your name in the hat. I mean, you got you to gotta be practicing with these guys. I mean, they, they're going to need a healer someday, you know, if you're available. You got to be available. You can't... You, you can't be hard to reach. I mean, you got you got to be in the mix. Um, they got to know you're wanting it, and I mean, you got to bring value. I mean, you got to have. They have to know if they like. I mean, what if they did call you? I mean, I, I wasn't ready. I mean, if I would have gotten a call, I wasn't ready. I did, I had a mediocre horse. Um, I didn't have, uh, you know. I mean, everything set up into place. I mean, finances. I I wasn't, you know. My roping ability wasn't 100% ready either, and and I wasn't ready. Um, so I mean, I think you have to be be ready. Figure out how how to have your have your ducks in a row, have the horses you want. Um, know that they can, you know, count on you. Um, 
be practicing with these guys, um, competing. Um, if, if you don't have, if your partner's not doing the best job, you know, if you're, at least you're catching, I mean, you know, you're doing your job, um, have a good attitude. I mean, you got to be able to bring something to the table, uh, to be, to present, I mean, um, to get, get those opportunities. So for me, I, I just tried to get, uh, tried to upgrade horses the best I could. Um, and, and that was a slow process for me as I, as I kind of got into college and further on, I, it, it dominoed and, and, uh, I kind of got, I got really lucky on my own horse. I mean, it, it was, I made a good trade to get him and that gave me a good chance. And then, uh, Zach had another horse that he let me ride. And then I just kind of always stayed looking as it went and as it progressed. I, I've tried to find more, but, um, I also did get, uh, you know, I I, got, I was very fortunate on my first run per se as as Zach goes because he he uh, he needed a guy to to go with and he he turned out to be unbelievable. I I always say I think I had a better first experience with him than I would have had roping with a veteran just because his his attitude. I mean, it's something that carried into me years past. You know, years to go because. His attitude was so good. I mean, you couldn't get him down. You couldn't. He everything was going to be all right. It was just, it was such a good way to be. Um, and I think I learned a lot. You don't have to be so hard on yourself um, to succeed. You know, I mean, I, I think the way he he held himself accountable, but he had a great attitude the whole time. So um, that was that definitely stuck with me and and how important that is. Uh, but I mean, the ma- the main thing is. Finding someone that you can uh, start with and, and, you know, try to click with and get you presented um, in the right areas and then be ready when the opportunity comes. Well, and, and I think, too, like there's a couple things I, I know going back to you and Zach's run. You guys had this run that you made and you just didn't change your game plan. Like we're just like, hey, this is what we do. It works good. And you just have a good attitude and really trust that run. And that's something that you guys started on. And when when it first come together, it was winning. But, you know, there was probably some times in the summer where it wasn't working. And you just knew it was just a matter of time before it gets back. And, and to kind of have that, that belief in the team, I think, really has been something that has carried through for the rest of, you know, since since that happened. Right. What about practicing with guys? Like, I, you know... Would you try to go call like a, a Luke Brown or someone like that as your heel horse? You know, when you basically had your heel horses together, you said being available. Would you try to be like, would you just reach out to those guys the same way you would with like trying to find partners? Like, hey, do you want to practice today? Or how would you do that? Yeah, or I mean, at, at the jackpots, um, just kind of get to know. I mean, be approachable. I mean, you can't be, uh, you know, try, try to talk to them every chance you get. I mean, they're all friendly, you know, and um, get to know them and then uh, – you know, tell them if, if they ever need a healer or a practice partner, you know, call, you know, call you or you come help them, you know, help. I mean, offer to almost even, you know, help, help if they need to. Um, but, uh, I, I think, you know, I went to Jake Cooper's a lot and, and just kind of, you know, then, then you start going to these guys' houses and then, then other people are over there roping and then other headers start seeing you. So, I mean, and then you heal good behind them at practicing and it just, it clicks. And then, and then the next thing, you know, I mean, Oh man, they they need to run that day, and so that you might get a call at a small jackpot. And if you do good for them, they don't have any reason for you to. And it's not the end of the world if you don't do good for them. I mean, you can't you can't just let yourself down if if it doesn't work. But um, it just 
you know, you're there, you're in the mix. And I think that that goes a long ways. Well, and I think that that's where it's really important is it's just like, you got to realize there's multiple jackpots almost every week. That's right. And sometimes their partners are not always available and it's in or three times. So if you've been over there practicing it, like I think Luke was one of the first guys I watched you jackpot a little bit with, but if you're over there roping with Luke a little bit, and pretty soon you get a chance at an inner three time deal with him and you do a good job. Well, A, other headers notice. Right. If Luke Brown is willing to enter with you, right. it, it, he didn't just do that, you yeah. know. And so if you do a good job it or a bad job, it doesn't matter. The fact that Luke is entering with you is already caught someone's eye. Right. And so that that's also, I think it, that's what really feeds into it is, like you said, being available. I mean, I, I see it a lot. There's guys that, around here that will go run the shoots for someone yep. and just... Just kind of like, hey, you know, I just kind of want to watch your rope or whatever. And, and they'll do that to, to being able to, like you said, provide value. And uh, and I think that's where it's it's really important to understand, like, that it, it's cutthroat out here. And there's a there's not necessarily a pecking order. It's who's the hungriest, who will hustle the most, who's the most approachable, who can who can be a good partner. That's right. And make you feel like you can win with. And and I think that's, you know, where it all like comes together like you know the, the ability to communicate the ability to to whatever it is set up the right type of practice i think that's where you can really be successful that's right i think you know being able to tell who wants it and uh is willing to go after it i mean that that's a big thing too i mean i've watched hunter cook in the last few years when i mean you could tell off the bat like i i, I mean i grew up not far from him anyway but he just had the eagerness to i mean he was after him i mean he was gonna get better it didn't matter what's coming he's gonna do it and i think having that drive i mean that just it rubs off i mean you can see it and um you can't hold somebody like that back so i mean that as far as um those guys watching i mean if i see it i'm a healer i mean the headers can definitely see it so right right. um what about managing money you know that that's something that I think you've done a great job of. Uh, as far as a lot of, it's an expensive sport. Yeah. So, what would you recommend to to a roper to help keep their money together? How to how to essentially start putting those things together? Because you know you, like I said, I'm pretty sure that year before you made the NFR, you were thinking about <laughs> heading and had yeah. one heel horse and that's and, right and not a lot of money. You know. Um, I, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is to figure out what it's going to cost you to, to do what you want to do. Um, and then save, I mean, you got to save. you got to put any, you know, hustle. Don't, don't just try to have one thing going. I mean, try to hustle. I mean, if you're not, I mean, if you've run out of horses and your horses are tired and you can't roll, I mean, go do something. I mean, try it, try to hustle for yourself on the side. Don't just, uh, but, uh, you know, save the best you can, pay yourself first. I mean, you gotta, you can't, just little things that could uh, help you, you know, don't buy unnecessary things. Um, for me, I, it was hard for me to buy things that, that weren't gonna bring value to my business. I mean, if, if it's a, you know, it was hard for me to even buy a stock trade. I mean, I just, I don't buy things unless they're gonna bring value to my business. I mean, you gotta treat it like a business. I mean, what's, uh, you know, don't spend the money just because, I mean, figure out how you can grow it as, uh, um, as you go. Don't, I mean, don't let yourself be chasing your tail, um, on what you're doing. So, 
you know, for me, the, the first order, I, I invested in myself to make the NFR, but then my next goal was to build the horse, my horse deal, and then and save on the side. I, I just had to set it all in percentages. I mean, certain percent went to each category of importance for me. I mean, whatever my goal, whatever your long-term goals are, but I think uh, I think it is an important thing, um, very much so, just to to be able to accomplish your your goals at anything. I mean, having having a long-term goal with your money and, and your short-term goals and uh, knowing where each dollar goes, you know, be accountable for each dollar. Um, and I, I think that, that helps a lot. And having discipline yep. to, to continue to do that, I think. Um, well, how did you look at the jackpot? Because I, I will say, if there's a jackpot, a slide around Stephenville, Texas area, you you know, you were at the jackpot. And, and when you do that and enter a lot, the swings can really go up and down. You know, your cash flow goes up and down with your entry fees. So how did you try to manage that? And what what did you, the other thing is, what did you think the jackpot was bringing back to you by entering that much? Uh, I set it down as, as uh, this was a little later, maybe first year I really rodeoed. I, I wrote it all down and I had it figured out to say 40,000 was every single jackpot I could get to. And uh, I looked at it as, am I better off saving and going to the big jackpots and just not saving but but you know just going to the big jackpots and spending say 20 or go everywhere and spend 40 and I thought it was way better for me to spend 40 because that's it I mean that's that's all you're gonna spend you can't spend more than 40 to jackpot so that means every dollar I make goes to the 40 so if you're getting tons of chances you're better off going all, I, I thought, better off going all in than you are half and half. For one, you stay more competitive going to the little jackpots. Um, I mean, you get beat, you, you learn. I, I truly think if you are dominant at the jackpots, you're or, or good at the jackpots, you're going to rodeo great. I mean, it's just jackpots have turned into that style. So it gives you a good perspective of where you're really at and how far you're going to be able to succeed as a roper so I could self-evaluate a lot jackpotting and that was um, worthy of me and then two gave myself a ton of chances um, and, and so I, I looked at it as instead of I've got to spend 40000 to jackpot this year I looked at it as wow that's, I get that many chances for 40000 um, so that that was my perspective on the jackpot, and I I figured it, I was better off going all in than half. Right, right. What about motivation? Is that something you you struggle with as far as getting out there and practicing every day, or how 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 do you try to look at that the work every day? There, well, for me, I mean, for one, I. I have to, my theory, I mean, one of my theories is you have to, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. So I'm always working on my rope. I mean, every time I rope, I'm getting something. I'm increasing a horse's value, which is helping with the finances part of it, or I'm, I'm increasing my discipline to my riding, my, I'm getting in tune with my horses, um, something of that. I'm getting something out of it. And, and I, I mean, I do, I look at it more of a dollar value than anything. I mean, as far as what am I doing to help me make a living today? So, I mean, I have to make a living first. And then, two, I mean, I, it doesn't take me much. There's an 11-year-old kid in Arizona that's an eight healer already. I mean, yeah. can you imagine what I'm going to have to deal with when he's 18? So I got seven years to either figure out how to 
get past where he's going to be or, or, you know, I mean, deal with him. So if I'm not getting better, I'm getting worse. And, uh, you know, he's roping – he's probably throwing more loops. And, I, I mean, he's throwing loops all day long. So, you know, and then you got guys like Hunter Cook who has come straight up the ranks and – I'm talking his healing, unbelievable everywhere he goes. I mean, watching him at the jackpots and and then all the guys you've looked up to, Jade, Cork, I mean, he never makes a mistake. And then Junior, I mean, it's just the competition is so great that I just, it doesn't take me much motive. If this is what I want to do and succeed at and, and make a living doing, um, that's my motivation, knowing how – not necessarily where I'm at, but where I'm going to have to be here pretty soon because I, I remember um, when I was 17, you know, just a few years ago, I could go to Travis Tryon's jackpot, and it was in her once. Um, you know, either Ryan Motes' jackpots um, stood out to me, Travis Tryon's jackpots, uh, two ropings, in her once. If you caught six years clean, you're getting paid, guaranteed. It, it, every time, never failed. Six years clean, get a check. Now, no. I've been, I've been going to these <laughs> inner ones. Six, I, I went 10 for 10 the other day and didn't want to check at two inner ones. And then I, I've been placing it a few lately, but it's, it is it is not that way anymore. I mean, guys know how to catch. Guys know how to go faster. Horses are better. Um, it is nothing to reach two coils every step. I mean, the guys can use their rope so good now and their horse. And, uh, so the competition has changed so much just for for me watching in the past few years and uh where it you know where it's going and um it's a whole new style i mean guys are more uh more aggressive more you know taking more risk um you know and they're so it's it's i I just it's going fast it's progressing fast times i mean it's it's a different style. Maybe percentages are lower, but it's um, competition is is going up. Well, it seems like now there's. It used to be not a lot of guys. Just, it, I mean, I remember going to Travis Tryon's opens over there, and it was that's why we went because we knew you could go catch yeah. and you'd get paid. Just go make solid runs on your horses and and get great practice out of it, and you're gonna win a check. Yep. And now it's like these guys have got this run that it doesn't really matter what the steers are, but they they can make the headers can kind of reach just enough that it's not wild but it's still really fast and the steers are usually pretty good to heal and it doesn't really matter for the healers anyways because they can catch them either way and there's if there's 30 teams entered it's there's going to be a handful that get through them pretty good yeah and and so to understand that that that's what you got to deal with day to day out and there's guys older than you and there's guys younger than, than you that are on that same level or trying to get to that same level, I think it's it's, it's a pretty good understanding of where where roping is at right now. It's it's unbelievable how the top to bottom, it's it, you know how you how you have to separate yourself, and I think that's done through your practice and through your game plan and and like you said, you're almost a hack into it. Like yeah, like that's what's so amazing to me about your run at the finals. That that really wasn't. I mean, you, Eric Rogers was he? He's really the only guy that I've seen do it before you guys, right? I mean, consistently, at least that I knew that could really reach. Right. That had a header that could really reach, and they just tried to play it to the 
the situation like they try to rope for the arena more or less and you're like wow to to just see ropers be able to prepare for those situations i thought the one time chad and alan bach roped at the finals yeah. a long time that their run was very similar to that yeah, yeah um, that's true and they, they made a lot of runs right in the middle of the arena but yeah there it's it you know and it's not very much put into place really well and i think it just it just means you gotta you gotta figure out yourself how you rope how your partner ropes and then be able to game plan for each of these situations like like you do for the jackpots for the rodeos and and be able to self evaluate I think is is so important. What about uh, let's just say you've got a, a weakness with your rope like what do you have something that you've been working on as far as weaknesses go or how would I guess what I'd like to ask is I have a lot of weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> the, don't we all the but, saying that uh the more you know about it the harder it is i think that that's how it is for me every time i feel like i've hit the next spot in my career roping it feels that much harder right how do you attack those weaknesses without um trying to go backwards you know a couple times a year i've battled with it um i always want to attack my swing um i do i want to change something about it i want to figure something out and i've never been very good at it as far as it's something else that's creating my swing to go bad but uh cory petska actually helped me with it a couple years back on a few angles that that helped um helped me um translated well over to me as far as made things smoother um but it it i would say that's the thing i always want to pick on um to improve my rope and as as a whole sometimes but i'm starting to learn that i think it's other things i mean the self-discipline side of it the patience the trust in your you know your game plan at home making a a good game plan at home knowing when to change something when not to it's the little things that i'm having to battle with to to help me get to the next step for me right so for a roper like that that wants to work on a weakness would you suggest to them to not try to break it down too much to just really like kind of focus on it and just that in the practice but not not tie it to your confidence or how how do you recommend someone take something that they're really trying to work on without taking those 10 steps back well i think you for me i really have to dissect and this is when i i cause an issue is when i don't dissect the whole scenario i mean the whole like if my horse isn't rode down he's not listening to me i mean i i mean first thing your horse has to be perfect i mean he's got to be listening to your hand he's got to have great control i've got to be riding good i've got to be so i mean what i, I got to go back and look at all my steps before i fix this thing that's of this importance i have to evaluate something simpler i mean to make sure that's in order first and then i translate to that so if 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 my horse is listening, he's in my hand, he's paying attention, he's following the steer good, he's stopping good, everything's working good, he's good in the box, I'm getting good starts, my body position's good, and this is the only thing that's off. That's when I go to that. Okay. And I, I think if if this is if my swing's off, but my horse is pulling through my hand, my my riding doesn't feel great, this feels off. That then I think you're you're fighting. A losing battle whether it's wrong or not everything else isn't into place first I, I totally get that and that's my that's I would say that's my weakness of not evaluating soon enough if I want to change something right really being able to look at the whole scenario that's right and uh, and just 
understand what it all goes into. So when you're working on your weaknesses, that's, I think that's a great way to, to look at it to really get to the root of the issue. What about uh, mentally? Do you, do you get nervous at all? In, in times of, I guess, uncertainty, yeah, I get nervous. Like if I'm not 100% certain what I'm focused on or if I do feel off on the, you know, the, the confidence thing goes down, you know, a couple times a year when I'm feeling kind of uncertain of what, what to think. You know, say I'm away from home, I hadn't been getting to practice, I don't have the most confidence I, that's when I'm most nervous. Um, what do you do to kind of slow that down or get it to where, you know, you, you can kind of manage your emotions that way? Um, the, the first thing I'll do is try to, you know, re- relax, keep it more basic. That's that's when it, it's, that's the hardest thing for me to do, but I, I have to almost go back to basics. I'm not worried about my swing. I'm not worried about the little tiny details. I'm going to keep it as simple as possible as a whole and and kind of just let loose a little bit and then it's almost easiest for me to do that after hitting rock bottom like like just you've you've messed up that run meant so much to you you're tied up you know you're you're in stuck in Caldwell Idaho you just your summer's not gone good the last couple of weeks you missed the second one up to make the short round like all right it doesn't get worse than this This is how it feels I mean that's when it's almost easier for me to just let it go simplify it um i'm not worried about the little tiny details i'm gonna just go heal the steer and um you know make sure my horse is in the right position just pick those one or two key things that aren't um dissecting everything down for me and that's kind of how i try to get through that right i think that's and it all and on the flip side of that the positivity side is it only for me i mean it only takes one to turn it around like so I have to think that side of it too. Like, I mean, I what if I catch this thing backwards and win the round? Like, I what if it does work? You know, um, versus oh man, like what if this goes wrong or that goes wrong? So start focusing on what could happen. Okay, what just what happens if he hangs on a backwards half head and I somewhat catch two feet? What what's gonna? I mean, how cool would that be? And that's all it's gonna take to turn it around. Right. I think that that outlook and always projecting good things and and really just trying to be because I, I i do i believe that the more you think about it the more likely it is to happen like if you talk about winning and how to win the odds are you're going to put yourself in a situation where you can win that's right and uh in the same way of losing if you're talking about how you've been losing how it's been bad how it's the, the worst summer how it's falling apart the odds are it's going to keep falling apart i i believe yeah the fur the fur third NFR um, was the first one I, I had success at, or a good NFR um, I, so I, I told myself walking down the lead up you know on the, the carpet every night I was like well, what, what if it does go right like let's just stick to the game plan what if it works and it just one time after another then it gave me a foundation to build on because I didn't have any confidence I for sure had zero confidence going in the second year right? and then or the first year I, I didn't know what to expect, but the second year I had zero confidence. I mean, it, it went terrible. I didn't know what to think. Well, then I didn't have much going in the third year because it had gone bad two times. I had roped bad once, and then it, we just both had heck the second time. So I just I had to tell myself just, well, you know, what if it works? Like, and, and it just 
kept building and building and building and it turned into confidence and then that turned into results so it just it dominoed from there what about round 10 did you know if you if you blast that steer this year or make that run it's for the world title I knew it was between us three um, as far as me, Joseph, and Chase had the best chances if we all stumped our toe. Junior had the best chance uh, if he did good. So I had to go first, um, and it, it technically was down to a one-header. Um, I had to place ahead of those two. So that took a little pressure away knowing I had to go first. I couldn't hold much back, but I did know my chances were – definitely decent if we made a good run so that that was it was a pretty I had chills all day because I knew that I knew I knew what was at stake you know when I woke up that morning so the whole day I was just so anxious more than anything to run that steer did you sleep at all that night before yeah I I did sleep fine it seemed like it it didn't hit me I just remember (laughs) I remember I had this dummy that sticks on a glass table there at the room and Matthew that was his deal every morning he would uh, wake me up poke me on the shoulder until I woke up seven o'clock and I if I was in the room like if I wasn't signing wasn't eating wasn't gone I had to rope that he would he was roping the dummy no matter what and he had to rope it with him so yeah the whole day I just remember roping the dummy barely feeling my hands like 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 sweaty hands all day thinking like wow what if it what what, what if i missed him like i did that day <laughs> you know and, and so you're thinking yeah like it's <laughs> the whole day i i remember that feeling of i was anxious more than anything but i i felt so much better when um when i got there and i, I had a sponsor text me something really cool he said he said i have no idea what <laughs> what to the best thing to say because you know you're in this position but he said whatever you do when your feet hit the stirrups whatever your game plan is just stick to it you'll be fine and I I, that clicked for me good because I'm like it doesn't matter I mean whatever I'm thinking I want to do make the plan and when I get on it doesn't matter that's the plan and I I thought that 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 kind of hit home for me and it it honestly took a pretty good load off right there just thinking I I'm gonna make the plan and I'm gonna stick to it and that's all that's all that matters. Well, and it makes it to where you can miss that steer and yep. live with yourself. Right, right. And if you can do that, be in that situation, you know, I can catch him or miss him, but you believe in the work and you've done everything you can and you're in this situation because of what you've done and staying with that run that you've been staying with for two years now and that game plan and then it pays off, I think that's it's just a testament of this long term right long term you're going to get what's yours if you do what's right right and and that's what happened it it worked out definitely wow man that's pretty cool um when when you get in the stirrup when feet hit the stirrup stirrup, stick to it man that's awesome well wesley i uh man i got a lot of a lot of questions for you but i just feel like we uh we've been we've been going at it for a while (laughs) um i'd like to do a few more of these podcasts with you and that's something that we've you know we've talked about doing is you know, the one thing that is so unique about you, and that's what I really wanted to open the door to today, was you've won at every level, but you, you've done that because you've learned how to dominate at each number you've, you've had. And you've, you've done it quickly uh, and had a lot of success at every level. 
but to kind of find out like what was your mindset how did you do that you know what what has helped you to get to those points at each of these numbers because it wasn't like you're necessarily under under number you know what i mean right you you had to be the bottom of each number you had to be the worst nine plus healer and figure out how to get to be the best one how to be a 10 healer and same thing from a five to a six and and how to game plan and learn how you know to win at these ropings and i think that's that's what's been so unique about you is man roping is fast today and, and i'll make the argument like you know there's some guys that wrote really really good back in the day but to, how it is now and how many people are so competitive and that's what they do it is it is tough to make a living right now just because of it if one healer stubs his toe and messes up there's 500 cooks yeah just kind of yeah. all been waiting they're, for their chance yeah, they're when they breathing it, down their throat you know and, and so and when they do they don't let up i mean hunter he's a great example paid bray i mean these yep. these kids are they're after blood they, you know? they are really are they're they're on it and so to win in this day and age and to be competitive all year long like you have been i think it's it's really unique and i think that's it's come from a life of work and figuring out how to win at each each level for sure well, man i appreciate it thank you very much you bet thanks for having me